0: Good morning, everyone. Welcome to New Life Midtown. Would you please stand up? We are going to praise God this morning. Come on, let's clap those hands. Hey! Give unto the Lord the glory that is due His name. Let's sing loud and proud to our Savior. And for those joining online, sing out with us. Through the ages, from fallen kingdoms, and there's only one God who stands, there's only one God who stands, over nations, over rulers and above all things. There's
1: only one risen King, there's only one risen King, yeah. Who is our strong foundation, the rock that won't be moved, the hope of our salvation, nobody, nobody but you. He is the Lord Almighty, there's nothing Good. Let's sing. In our failures, who is strong enough to heal our
0: land? There's only been one who can. There's only been one who can. There's a power. There's a greater and exalted name. Who's always been the one who
1: reigns? Oh, Jesus, You're the one who. i yeah. we can do nobody, 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 Jesus, nobody but you. We believe in you, nobody, 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 Jesus, nobody
0: but you. Ah, come on, let's go. Turn to your neighbor and say, Wake up, neighbor. listen, friends, when you come to church, we've come to encounter the Lord, but we've also come to have fun with the people that's around us. It's okay to smile. It's okay to sing. It's okay to have joy. We are people known as people of joy. Can I hear an amen to that? All right. Don't give me those frowns. Don't give me those furrowed brows, those serious looks. We have come to honor the Lord Jesus. This morning. Before we continue with our worship time, I just want to introduce a good friend of mine. Would you welcome right now, give a midtown welcome to my friend Jillian Lynn helping lead worship? Jillian is on staff here at New Life Church at Large. She's a part of the New Life East congregation. So this morning she's decided to come and hang out with us. And so, Jill, I'm so glad you're with us. Decided? <laughs> I guess her boss decided that she's gonna come.
2: I was invited. <laughs>
0: That's a better way of saying it. Yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> All right, friends. Oh, it's good to be here. It's good to just recenter and to focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. We've not come to be entertained by man or entertained by creative concepts. We've come to encounter the living Jesus Christ. There's a, there's a scripture that, that's in the Bible in Matthew chapter 18. Jesus says, where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am present. How can he be present? Because of the Holy Spirit. So friends, look around. There's more than two people, more than three people. That means that the presence of the Lord is here. The same Jesus that healed in the scriptures is the same Jesus that's here right now. The same Jesus that touched blind, that touched people, that, that healed blind eyes and unlocked deaf ears. The same Jesus that was able to help restore relationships is here right now. Ready to restore the relationships that are broken in your life. And all we need to do is just receive. All we need to do is receive the ministry of Jesus here this morning. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are present in our midst. And Jesus, you will speak words of encouragement and comfort. You will speak words of challenge, but it leads to victory. And we receive those words. In your name. Amen. Friends, let's confess the Psalms together. Let's read Psalm 28 as a call into worship. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and he helps me. My heart leaps for joy and with my song I praise him. The Lord is the strength of his people, a fortress of salvation for his anointed one save your people and bless your inheritance be their shepherd and carry them forever lord we thank you that you're the great shepherd that you lead us and guide us into all truth we also thank you that you are our strong foundation and there is no god like you so father we bless you this morning and we thank you that as we continue to sing songs that you will speak words to us jesus speaking to us Bring healing, bring life. We honor you in your name, we pray. Amen.
2: On, sing this with me, church. Our Father, everlasting,
0: the
1: all created God. Savior, we declare what we believe this morning, we believe in, in God.
0: to seek you, Jesus. We've come to worship you. With no song in mind, can you just worship the Lord? Come before his presence with singing. Be thankful. Be grateful for the life that you have give you all the glory
1: Jesus There's no one like you Lord in all the- presence daily in your presence To Thee, my blessed Savior, and I surrender
0: We I give You everything, our hearts, our lives, our minds, our souls. Listen, sing, You silence fear. You silence fear in all shape You conquer
1: I said the
3: partner with that phrase. You silence fear and all shame. You silence fear and all shame. For those of you in this place where fear is just wreaking havoc in your minds and in your lives, may it be silenced right now by the power and the grace and the love of Jesus where shame has overcome you and overwhelmed you, I say may that fall to the ground today in Jesus' name. Shame is not your portion. It is not your portion. Your portion is hope. Your portion is freedom. Your portion is dignity. Your portion is goodness in God, freedom in God. That's what he says over you in this place. For those of you guys who were here last Sunday, Jay did a phenomenal vision message about greater things. And if you weren't here, please make sure you go back and listen to it. But he spoke about 2024 being a year of greater things, greater purpose, greater community, greater worship, greater gifts and harvest greater testimony. And I don't know about you guys, but I literally walked out of that greater service like, yeah! And I got home and three hours later, I was in the pit and in the valley, not feeling so great. (laughs) But here's the deal. God is at work in the valley. And here's the other deal, guys. The greatest victories only come from some of the greatest challenges challenges and struggles and pain precede greatness because God takes those things and he breathes on him and he works through them and he makes something incredible out of it. So there is greatness coming, no matter what your circumstance looks like right now. Greatness is coming. We just got to get through that valley. We just got to walk through it by the power and the grace of God. I've been sitting in Psalm 23, literally, you guys, just resting in Psalm 23 this entire week. And really just the first phrase. I have not been able to get beyond the first phrase of Psalm 23, which is, You are my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. I lack nothing. And if we're not careful, we'll we'll hear that scripture through the lens of, well, I lack in finances, or, well, I'm lacking a job, or I'm lacking a relationship. And those things matter to God, but I think he's speaking to something deeper. Am I lacking peace today? Am I lacking hope Am I lacking joy? Am I lacking fulfillment? It's the deepest parts of me, lacking identity. The Lord wants to speak to that and touch that this morning. So if that's you, if you're in that place today, if you would just open your hands and name that lack. We don't overcome lack by ignoring it. We confess it. Lord, I lack, God, I lack peace today I'm lacking hope I in myself and my strength I do not have hope but I cling to you the good shepherd the one who silences the fear in my life the one who silences the shame in my life the one who conquered death in the grave that even the grave cannot hold me back because of the goodness and the greatness of Jesus Lord receive that today Would you come? And just like Jay talked about last last week, God, we trade our faith, which will never be enough, for your faith today. God, we trade any means of peace that we've tried to find in ourselves and in our circumstances, and we ask for your peace today. We trade our fear and our shame, and we ask for hope and for peace and for joy and for your love to come and to fill our hearts. Every single one of us today, Father. In the name of Jesus, amen. I agree with you, family. And we're gonna give from this place of realizing that he is our shepherd and we don't lack, that makes us free to give. If we are bound by what we lack, we don't give. But because we're free, we give. So today, as you give, there are four ways to give. Those ways are up on the screen. And let's give from a place of faith that says, Lord, I am trading my lack for your plenty today in all areas of my life. Family, let's say this confession together as we give. Father, you are the abundant giver of all good things. Train us to delight in holy dependence. Lead us to honor you with all of our resources. Free us from the deceitfulness of greed and earthly riches. Teach us to give generously with open hands and joy-filled hearts that we might receive abundantly and flourish for the sake of others and your purposes on the earth. Amen. If you agree with that, come on, give me a hearty amen. Let's agree with that word. All right, let's draw our kids close to us. Kids, we're going to pray this prayer that Jesus gave us. Because when we don't know what to pray, this is what he's given us to cry out. All right, so let's pray this together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Kids, you are dismissed. Family, it's so good. Thanks for being here. Thanks for braving that cold weather. My mercy. Thank you. You guys are amazing. Let's connect with one another for a minute and we'll come back for an incredible message.
2: good morning, everyone. You know, more than braving the cold, it's braving the static. Ladies, you know, like, I feel like I've had hair in my mouth all morning, or if I touch it, it's just like, so I could look like ridiculous right now, and I don't know. Praise God. Well, I just want to welcome you all this morning. My name is Lauren Askum. What are you saying over here? Gosh, I'm just going to move on. We're moving on. Should I go like this? Thank you appreciate you oh he doesn 't have hair okay that 's what you 're saying all right we 're going to jump into the announcements before we get sidetracked again um, if you 're new with us today actually i 've seen a lot of new faces today, and I just want to say welcome, thank you so much for joining us. And, you know, we have an event coming up next week. It's called New Life Next. New Life Next is our guest lunch where, whether this is your first time or maybe you've been coming for a few months and you want to know the next steps to getting involved and getting plugged in with our family, I really highly encourage you to come out to that lunch. It's after the second service next week. There is child care available, and we have ushers standing in the back, and they have uh, QR codes that you can scan right now. So if you just lift up a hand, this does not commit you. But if you lift up a hand, you're interested, you want to know more, they have cards that tell you a little bit more about what's going on. So you can lift up your hand, and they'll put that in your hand. Also, ladies in the house, we have another kindred event coming up. You'll see the details right here, the encounter tables. So we love to pray and worship together and really just operate in the gifts. So come on out for an amazing night together. And lastly, I don't know, for those of you sitting in the back, you might not have noticed, but this morning in worship, we had two like six-year-old kids yes. kneeling down at the altar like this. Yeah. And Pastor Jade is beside them doing the same thing. And I think there's just something to them being able to watch us worship the Lord. Yes. It was just so good. I, took, I snuck a picture, and you saw it. Alyssa, you saw me taking a picture of your son over there because I just couldn't miss that moment. And, you know, that's what we're doing up in kids' ministry. Yes. We're teaching our kids how to follow Jesus And we're bringing them into a relationship themselves with the Lord. That's real. And, you know, we need more volunteers. And, you guys, it is so rich and so rewarding. And you might not see it the first week, but as you get to be a part of this family and see these kids grow up in God, it's so special. So there is a, in the fireside area, we have a display with uh, someone there who can talk to you about serving in kids ministry and kind of give you some details on that. So I encourage you to check that out. Amen? Great job. Good morning,
4: church. Man, it's good to see you on this cold, frigid day. My goodness. Welcome to Colorado. We have some friends of ours, actually, that are here from San Diego. So good to see you guys. And uh, I'd rather be in San Diego. (laughs) But bless you. Bless you in grace upon you and your entire family and what you're carrying right now in this hour. We're going to introduce a new part of our liturgy. We're going to introduce something new into our liturgy today, and I'm not exactly sure where this is going to land. Today, it's going to land right before the preaching, and we may experiment with this here for the next few weeks. Sometimes it might fall right before we come to the table. Sometimes maybe we'll open up our call to worship, but we are going to speak and to declare our faith today um, out of words that were actually crafted, literally, uh, almost thousands, but definitely over 1,700 years ago. In 325, there was a council of faithful believers that gathered together, and they were tasked with addressing some heretical ideas around who God was, around who Jesus was, and around who the Holy Spirit was. And so out of that, they created what is now known as the Nicene Creed. And this is, I believe, very, very important for because the Christian faith is a confessional faith. And what they did is they did the hard work of actually condensing hours, if not years, of theological work into a statement of faith that the more we say this, it actually begins to form our doctrinal belief system. And so we're going to put this on the screen if it's not on there already. We're going to read this together. And I have most of our other congregations do this. We're a little bit late to the party here. Uh, But every time I've gone to visit East or Friday night or downtown, and the people of God speak out of their mouths with hearts full of faith and belief and conviction, I'm telling you, something happened in my spirit every time I participated with this. So I believe it is so important that we know what we believe. And as we go into this series, today we're starting a series on the book of John, Uh, we are going to be launching today a message on Jesus is God, which is the cornerstone of our faith. There can't be no revelation of incarnation if Jesus is not God. Doesn't matter. Christmas, great. presents and parties, and that's it. Easter has no significance if Jesus is not God because there is no resurrection from the dead. And so I want to invite you, would you just maybe kind of still yourself here for just one moment? and choose to enter into the spirit of what we're going to participate in, because I really want this to become part of the rhythm of the liturgy of our time in worship. So, Holy Spirit, today, we already know that you have been so involved in everything we've done. Lord, as we step into a new component, and as we step into a new rhythm of our faith-shaping liturgy, we invite you, Holy Spirit, to breathe on this. Lord, I would even ask that if any of us have any resistance or if there's been negative thoughts around confessions and creeds and and, and reciting things as a people, Lord, I pray that you would bring perspective. You would bring wisdom. Lord, I pray that you would anchor us to the truth of these words. We sang it just a few minutes ago. Now we are going to speak it. And Father, I pray that as we speak this, that our faith would be formed And that our faith would be strengthened. And that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit would be revealed to us afresh and anew. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Friends, let's declare the creed together. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is, seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshiped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, universal, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead, and the life of the world to come. Amen. Amen. Friends, this is what we believe. This is what makes you and I Christ followers. And this is what the church has believed for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And this is what we will continue to believe until Christ returns. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I'd like to invite you to open up to the book of John, chapter 1. We're going to begin the first of about 12 weeks of series of a series that will take us right up unto resurrection, Sunday, John chapter one. We're going to read eighteen verses. A little a little lengthy, but this is called the prologue of the Gospel of John. How many symphony listeners do we have here in the house? Anybody like a good symphony? For I love the symphony, and something that I didn't understand after I'd gone to literally dozens of symphonies is that most of the times at the symphony, the very first act or the opening song is it's called an overture. An overture is like a prelude. It's, it's, it's a synopsis of everything that is going to happen within the symphony over the course of the next two to two and a half hours. They're giving you this sneak peek. In theater, it's like a trailer. You can watch a trailer and you can see the highs and the lows and get a pretty good synopsis of what's going to happen within that film. John is doing the same thing. John, here in the first 18 verses, he is giving us what is called a prologue or an overture of the entire book of the Gospel of John. Interestingly enough, he is also giving us an overture of the grand narrative of the Gospel at large. Let's begin. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. So that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light, but he came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Notice the contrast there. He comes to the world and the world does not recognize him. He comes to his own and his own does not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, there are some that did believe when Jesus came and those who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right, the privilege, the authority to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will. Children that were born of God. Verse 14, almost done here. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. who is himself God, and is in the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Beloved, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There have literally been volumes written, not only on the book of John, but on these 18 verses, volumes, tomes. Uh, entire libraries could be filled, extrapolating, really, these four verses. These four verses and the continuing 14 verses after that are essentially and foundationally, crucially important to everything that we believe about God. And I'm going to make what might feel like some really exaggerative statements right now, but the truth of the matter is there's no exaggeration. What we're going to talk about today forms the most important things about what we believe to be true about Christianity. Look with me if you have your Bibles at John chapter 20, verse 31. So we're kind of bookending the entire book here. We've started out with chapter 1 and in chapter 20, almost towards the very end, John kind of sneaks this little purpose statement in, and he says this in verse 31. He says, these things that I have written are written... So that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah. In other words, he's saying every story that I have told, the unique way that I have crafted the story of who Jesus is, because if you have read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you will identify that John is radically and uniquely different from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And John has this agenda. In fact, every author of every book of the Bible has an agenda. They have an agenda for the people that they're writing to. They have an agenda for the problems that they're addressing. And that agenda is merged together with the will of God for the things that he wants to reveal as he moves upon people to write out the Holy Scriptures. And here's John's agenda. He's like, listen, I'm just going to lay it out there. All my cards are on the table. Everything I'm writing, I want you to know emphatically, without a question of a doubt, Jesus is the Messiah. Look at this. He says, he is not only the Messiah, he is the son of God. And I want you to know that by believing that you may have life in his name, that is the purpose of the book of John. So that every person who reads this book may believe that Jesus is the son of God. And that by believing this, we would have life in his name. Jesus said it a little bit differently in John chapter 10. He says, the thief comes to, what is it? Steal and to kill and to destroy. But why did Jesus come? So that we might have life. And what kind of life? Life abundantly, life to the fullest, life to the max, eternal life. The Greek word is zoe, There is a kind of life in God that is available for the human being that knows no limitation. It's the God kind of life. It is the divine quality of life. It is the very life of God from his spirit that enters our spirit and animates our very being. It's the same kind of life that God breathes into humanity in Genesis 1 in the beginning where we find that God is face to face with humanity and breathes his ruach, his spirit, into flesh, and they become a living being. Why is this important? Why is it critical that you and I believe that Jesus is God? Why is this fundamental to the faith of Christianity? Very simply, it's this, because no one and no thing, so no person, not Moses, not David, not Samuel, and no thing, not the created order, even though God uses all of these things. No one and no thing, not even Scripture itself, can reveal God like God. And Jesus is God. We're going to keep walking here. It is crucial that in our life of faith that we believe rightly, that we believe the right things, And we believe rightly about the right things. Here, we're going to get a little technical right here. Guys, there is a right and a wrong way to believe about God. Now, I know this might fly in the face of the culture because like the cultural milieu is such a relativistic culture. Your truth is your truth, and your truth is ultimate truth. No, there is an ultimate truth, and ultimate truth is the only truth because truth is what ultimate reality is. Your perception and your perspective and your desires and your preferences are not truth. They may be a way that you see things. They may be a way that you choose to believe. But our belief systems and our preferences and what we desire are not truth. In fact, for us to come into truth, we must submit our version of truth. We must submit our framework of truth to ultimate truth. So if we get off on our understanding of who Jesus is, everything gets off. Any home builders in the room? How many of you know that if you get the foundation wrong, everything in the house is off? And you might be able to tolerate it, and you might be able to say, well, we can still hang things on the wall, and I can deal with how crooked they are. And... But over the course of time, what's going to happen is that crooked foundation is going to affect every single thing in the house. Your view of humanity, your view of sexuality, your view of gender identity, your view of the church, your view of the sacraments, your view of morality, your view of truth, all hinge on whether or not we get Jesus right as God. Because if Jesus isn't God, then we don't have to absolutely adhere to everything he says. And if Jesus is not God, the Holy Spirit is not God. And if the Holy Spirit is not God, friends, we are absolutely hopeless, Because the only way that you and I can live the Christian life as God has designed for us to live the Christian life is with God himself dwelling within us, empowering us to live the life of faith. All of this hinges on whether or not Jesus is truly God. Now, I'm going to say something that for some of us might be a little controversial or might be a little offensive, but the Jesus of other religions is not the Jesus of Christianity. The Jesus of Jehovah's Witness and the Jesus of Mormonism and the Jesus that Muslims adhere to is not the Jesus of the Holy Scriptures and it's not the Jesus of Christianity. And it all comes down to this. In fact, whenever you're listening to world religions, whenever you're hearing people dialogue about world religions, you can always ask this question and it cuts through everything. Tell me what you believe about Jesus. And a lot of people will acknowledge, well, he was a good man, or he was a teacher, or he was even a prophet, or he was divinely inspired. There were some heresies in the earlier years of the church that believed that Jesus started off as a human being, and that over the course of time, he enlightened himself to a place of divinity. Friends, all of these things are heretical, and you simply have to ask the question, do you believe that Jesus Is God and Mormonism will tell you no, and Jehovah's Witness will tell you no. They may say He is a God, but we're not interested in whether or not He is a God, we're interested in whether or not people believe that He is God in and of Himself. So, let's this is my task today. My task is from John chapter 1 in the next 15 minutes, and in the next 18 verses to prove to you that Jesus is God. Let's go back to John chapter 1, looking at verse 1. In the beginning, pause right there. A better way to translate this is from the before the beginning of the beginning. What John is speaking about here is not a point in time. He is speaking about eternity. So when John says, in the beginning, what he is referring to is the fact that the Word, who is Jesus, is eternal. Now this is important because in the Old Testament, remember John is speaking to an Old Testament audience. In the Old Testament, and it already there have been these characteristics about the character and the nature of God that were already clearly established. And so there was no question about the divinity of the Yahweh God of the Old Testament, the task for John is to establish that Jesus is one and the same while at the same time being different from the God of the Old Testament. So ancient readers understand already that God is eternal, that there was never a moment in all of history where God did not exist. And, G- and John is starting with that very idea, in the beginning was the word. This is a throwback to Genesis chapter 1. What does this Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 tell us? It tells us that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What, 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 what the author wants you to hear is the implication. It's implied in this that God was before the beginning of the created order. Right? So in order to create something, the creator has to exist before that which he or she created. And so now John comes along and is putting Jesus right next to God, the father creator, by saying that in the beginning was also the word. John is setting Jesus alongside God in the creation story to reveal and to establish his divinity. So we all know that God was involved in creation, but what we may not know fundamentally is that Jesus And if I had time, I would also talk with you about the fact that the Holy Spirit also was involved in creation. Why is this important? Because only divinity can create. Take a look with me at John 1, 3. We've read this already. We'll read it again. We sang it. We actually confessed it. Through him who, the word, who is Jesus, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made. In the created order that has been made. Paul, uh, theologian, picks this up several years later in Colossians chapter 1, and he says it like this in verse 15. He says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, he is the firstborn over all creation. For in him, Jesus, all things were created things in heaven, things on earth, things that are visible, and things that are invisible. Thrones, powers, rulers, authorities, all things have been created through Jesus and all things ultimately have been created for him. Now that right there would be a phenomenal discussion along the lines of teleology or the purpose of a thing. That everything that you see created, ultimately, its intended purpose was for Jesus verse 17 he's before all things that speaks to his eternal nature and in him because jesus is ultimate reality all things are held together let's keep reading along in john chapter 1 verse 1 in the beginning speaks to the eternal nature of jesus was the word the word in the beginning was the word what is the word Uh, The Greek word here is logos. Many of us have heard this before. The functional definition of this, there's many different ways and many different variations of how logos is explained throughout the New Testament. But in John particularly, particularly, logos denotes the essential word of God, which is Jesus Christ the personal wisdom and power that is in union with God. Here's another way of saying this, that the word is the embodiment of the full mind, reason, rationale, and wisdom of God. Again, another throwback to the Old Testament, Psalm 33, verse 6. Psalm 33, verse 6, the psalmist says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made their starry host by the breath of his mouth see any particularly any doctrinal thing you'll find in the new testament you'll always find the seed of that or the foundational idea of that in the old testament as well right because they're always speaking one to another the old testament is a type and a shadow it's speaking forth it's forthtelling and prophesying and predicting the fullness of what is to come everything in the old testament is pointing to jesus Everything, guys, everything is pointing to Jesus. He's hidden. It's like, where's Waldo? right? He's hiding out in the sacrificial system. He's hiding out in the tabernacles. He's hiding out in Genesis chapter three when Adam and Eve sin, and God goes. And what's the first thing that God does after he disciplines them verbally? What does he do? He covers them by shedding blood. It's a picture of Jesus. He's hiding everywhere in the Old Testament. This is a really interesting idea. When you think about the Union of Speech Act, um, I'll explain it, and then hopefully I'll, I'll, I'll explain it again in a way that's better understood. So when you and I want to communicate with someone, and obviously there's varying levels and degrees of skill in which we all communicate. But on our best day, when we're on our game, and you have thought through exactly what you want to say and how you want to say it, your mouth and your tongue are the overflow when they're in harmony and alignment with your mind and your heart. You find yourself speaking in harmony with the things that you have generated in your mind. Are we walking together here for a moment? Are you understanding what I'm saying? How many have ever heard of the, the thought of uh, foot-in-mouth syndrome? <laughs> what, what is the foot-in-mouth syndrome? It's when you speak without Thinking. Right? Oh, I put my foot in my mouth. I gotta study the etymology of that. Where did that come from? I have absolutely no idea. I think essentially what it's saying is like, I made a fool of myself. So when you're not in harmony, when your tongue and your mouth are not in harmony and they're not in alignment with the reason and the rationale and the wisdom of your mind and the true empathic nature of your heart, you find that your mouth will betray you because you're out of alignment. Are we together? So if the word is God, and if the word is the embodiment of the reason and the wisdom of God, there is never a moment when what Jesus says is out of harmony and out of agreement and out of alignment with the nature of God. And Jesus says this, and we're going to discover this as we read John together. There are times when Jesus says, anything I say to you, I only say... What I hear the Father saying. Why? Because Jesus is the Word. Jesus is the incarnated embodiment in the flesh of the wisdom of God. Okay, let's, let's just let's, let's say it like this. Imagine you had a superpower. This is how my brain goes. Imagine your superpower was that in every situation that you were able to say the exact right thing that was needed for every situation, All right? You come home and you get into an argument with your spouse or your kids, you know, do something, um, or you, go, you, you, you show up on the job and someone accuses you unjustly, or you jump up on your social media post and someone's throwing out some rant and they're accusing you, and you had this superpower. And the superpower was that you were able to say the exact thing that needed to be said, and it was full of truth, but it was full of grace, and it was said in the exact way that it needed to be said to unlock the hearts of humanity. You know what that is? You know what that superpower is? That's the word. That is the logos. That is the word who has become flesh. So let's keep reading at John 1.1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Here's what you need to hear in this phrase right here. In the beginning, eternal nature of God was the word, the wisdom of God, and the word was with God. There's differentiation there. The word was with God. There's relationship. There is eternal abiding and communion, one of the themes that we'll find all throughout the gospel of John. So we find that there's differentiation in function, differentiation in personality, differentiation in identity, and yet The word was God, so there is oneness and sameness in their ontological nature, which just means in their very being. So Jesus, in his spirit, is completely divine, and yet there's differentiation in the way that he interacts and relates with the Father. All of this is crucial when we get deeper into understanding how we relate to each other. God is not in the business of cloning people. God is in the business of giving everyone uniqueness. And yet with our uniqueness, he desires for there to be a true union and unity of the people of God. So in other words, Jesus Christ, the son of God, son of man, the root and the offspring of David, the second person of the Trinity is and has always been and will always be God. He is unique from God and yet he stands one with God. Let's keep reading. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Verse two, he was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made. Jesus is the complete embodiment of the perfect wisdom of God. Jesus is the complete embodiment of the perfect wisdom of God. Anybody seen that movie Groundhog Day? Anybody seen Loki season two? Anybody seen any movie where in the premises, this, this idea of experiencing a day and then going back and experiencing the same day and making adjustments or alterations in the mistakes that you made in that day and you kind of keep going over and over and over again? Well, Jesus doesn't have to do this. Because God is eternal, because God exists from all of eternity, there was never a day in the history of time itself where God himself did not exist. Jesus becomes the living in flesh, lived out reality of God looking through every scenario and saying this is the wisest course of action. He is the embodiment of the way of God. He is the embodiment of the entire fulfillment of all the Old Testament law. He is the embodiment. Imagine if you could read all of the Proverbs and in every situation of your life, live out the wisdom of the Proverbs and the way that you speak and the way that you think and the way that you interact and the way you deal with your money and the way that you deal with conflict. You You know who that is? Jesus, the word. He is in flesh the embodiment of the complete and perfect Unbroken wisdom of God. First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. That's a really important statement. You know the beauty of preaching is it's foolish. God uses foolish vessels. He uses broken and imperfect human beings. And the very message of the gospel itself is foolish to those who consider themselves wise. This is why a lot of intellectual people have a hard time with being saved by believing that a dead person rose from the dead. Verse 22, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. Verse 23, but we preach Christ crucified which is a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God, and Christ is the wisdom of God. Colossians chapter 2 says it like this. Verse 2, My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God. What's the mystery of God. Christ. Verse three, what's happening in Christ? God has hidden in Christ all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You want the wisdom of God? Get to know Jesus. You want to walk in wisdom? Proverbs is great, but watch the way that Jesus lives out the spirit of Proverbs and the way that he interacts in every situation. He is wisdom incarnate. John chapter 1, verse 4, one of my favorite verses, 4 and 5, is the next point of this. In him, in the word, in Jesus, was life. Jesus is the life of God. So what have we discovered thus far? Jesus is eternal, so he shares the divine attribute of the eternal nature of God. Jesus is the incarnate wisdom of God, so he embodies the ways of God. But Jesus is the life of God. What is that? What, is, what does this mean? It means that there is no life, there is no spiritual life, there is no reality of life apart from Jesus. Most of the people that are walking the streets of the world right now are looking for life. They're looking for the kind of quality of life that only Jesus possesses. And you'll hear it in different ways. They're looking for enlightenment. They're looking for peace. They're looking for deep purpose. Do you know what all of those things are? Those are iterations and variations of life. And Jesus is the life of God. You'll never find true peace without the life of God. And you'll never have the life of God without believing in Jesus. You'll you'll never have a sense of what we might call spiritual enlightenment. What is spiritual enlightenment in any ways? like operating on a higher plane of existence, realizing what is kind of material or realizing what is uh, uh, not essential and realizing what is like truly purposeful. Like that's the idea of enlightenment. Like you cannot receive enlightenment outside of the light that only Christ can bring. Jesus himself says it like this. John chapter five, verse 24. Jesus' words himself, very truly I tell you, That whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. And he will not be judged or she will not be judged. They have crossed over from death to life. Verse 25, very truly I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of God and those who hear will live. And here it is, verse 26. For as the Father has life in himself, So he has granted the son also to have life in himself. You were given life. You and I do not generate life. You and I do not control life. In fact, the very notion of controlling life is an illusion. Isn't it? Right? And everything that we're doing, we're trying to get younger, we're trying to get stronger, we're trying to be more efficient, we're trying to be more beautiful, we're trying to hold on to that perfect state of being in our what? Mid-20s? Early 20s? Mid-30s? Like, listen, all of that control, all of that notion of trying to be the source of life itself, it is an illusion. And it is the very illusion that the enemy offers to humanity. You don't need God. You can be a source of fulfillment. You can be complete in yourself. Greatest lie that was ever served to humanity. And in so doing, humanity broke away from dependence upon God. You and I are absolutely dependent upon God for the very air that we breathe, for life itself. And yet we find that God and Jesus are all sufficient. They don't rely on anything for life. They just are. This is why when Moses asks God, who should I tell Pharaoh It sent me? Tell him I am. I am what? I am. I just am, bro. I am. And I have always been, and I will always be because I am absolutely and utterly, completely self-sufficient. All right, last thing right here. John chapter 1. Verse 4, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. What is that? That's truth. Truth. Light in the scriptures refers to truth. It refers to revelation. So you and I cannot understand spiritual things. You and I cannot be spiritually enlightened. You and I can't have a true understanding of what truth is without the life of God operating inside of us. Why? Because it requires spiritual life to understand spiritual things. Are we clear on that? Paul says it like this. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3, even if our gospel is veiled, if it's blinded, if you can't understand the real meaning of the gospel, how many of you remember the time before you said yes to Jesus and you remember living in a veiled state? You remember that time? Where like either it seemed foolish, or it seemed simple, or it seemed trite, but then you said yes, and the longer you lived in the fullness of the gospel, guys, the gospel is still unfolding in its power to me. It is still unfolding. Layers of the beauty of the gospel, layers of the meaning of the gospel are still being made known. Do you know what that is? That is the fact that every day I'm living in God. Illumination, spiritual light, revelation, and understanding are coming as I live in truth. It's veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ. I'm going to read this first and then we're going, to, we're going to worship team, you guys, and come on up. For what we preach is not ourselves, but we preach Jesus as Lord and we preach ourselves as your servants. Verse six, here it is. For God said, let light shine out of darkness. He made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory that is displayed in the face of Christ. Let me summarize all of this like this. I know this is, I tried really hard to not make this feel like a systematic theology class today. <laughs> but this is the text that was unfolded before us. This Guys, this is crucial. This is crucial. Everything that we believe about as, as Christians rises and falls on our revelation that Jesus is God. John chapter 14, Jesus breaks it down like this. He's telling them that he's about to leave. And so Thomas says, he says, he says, Lord, We don't know where you're going. This is John 14, verse 5. He says, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered. He says, I I am the way. You know what the way is? I, I am the word. I am the wisdom. I am the wise way to get to God. I am the wise way to live. There is a way to live, Thomas. There is a way to live in this dark world. And you know what that is? I am that way. He says, I am also the truth. What is the truth? It's light and I am the life. Everything you're seeing right here in John 14, 6, you're finding in John 1, 1 through 4. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, except through understanding that I am God, and except through understanding that as God, I have laid down myself as the perfect sinless sacrifice for all of humanity. Verse 7, if you really know me, look at this, you will know my Father. And from now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. And Philip says, well, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough. And here's, here it is right here, Jesus out of his own mouth. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? And even after I have been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father because I am God. Friends, would you stand with me this morning? We're gonna come to the table. Before we come to the table this morning, I've asked Seth and the team to lead us in a song that, like, listen and read these verses, particularly the first verse. You were the word at the beginning. Like, listen to these verses. And even though we've had pretty, I think, a little bit of a deep theological treatise this morning. Allow the Holy Spirit to breathe on this afresh so that Jesus as Son of God and Jesus as God himself becomes new. And then I'm going to give you an altar call to to see if you want to believe, and then we're going to come to the table. Seth, take it away. That name is so powerful because only God, this is why Jesus being God matters, because only God is the one who has the power to utterly and completely destroy and annihilate and do away with sin and with Satan. He's the only one. And so if Jesus was a good teacher, if Jesus was a good prophet, or if Jesus was a good miracle worker, which there have been hundreds of those in the past, his death would have meant nothing. His martyrdom would have meant nothing. But because it was God himself, the blood of God was shed for you. And it was shed to completely absolve and break the power and the hold of guilt and shame and the stronghold of sin and the power of the devil himself over your life and over all of humanity. John said it like this. I'll say it again. At the end of his, bio, end of his book, he says, I have written these things. I could say it like this, guys. I preached these things so that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that by believing, you may have life in his name. All across this room, if you would just bow your head for a moment. If you're in this place today... And you would say, I've never heard these things before. I've never believed these things before. I've had different ideas. I've had different views about these things. I've had different ideas about this person, Jesus, but I've come to believe today. I believe what you're saying is true. The spirit is breathing on the word today. And I believe that Jesus was the son of God and was in fact, God himself, that he was sent on a mission to bring me back to God by laying his life down. By becoming the sacrifice for my sins and the sins of all humanity and by believing in him, I can have life and I can walk in divine purpose and I can be invited back into the family of God. Friend, if that is you today, under your breath, here's all I want you to do. Just say, Lord, I believe. Lord, I believe this. In fact, all across this room, some of us, I think we just need to believe this again. Just under your breath, would you say, Lord, I believe this. I believe, and in believing, I want you to pray this prayer with me if you would. Jesus, all together, Jesus, I believe you are the son of God and that you are God himself, that you were sent from God to die for my sins and that you were raised from God by the power of the Holy Spirit to free me forever. I believe this. Would you forgive me of my sin and welcome me into your family and give me eternal life in Jesus' name? Amen, friends, if you prayed that prayer today for the very first time or you felt yourself slipping away from God and you said that again, I just want you to know that spiritual life is a reality and that here today on this very moment, you are born again. We'll talk more about that in a few weeks. And now you have the responsibility in the community of believers to grow in your faith. And we're gonna talk with you about how to do that. But first, we're gonna to come to the table. You can exit on the left, come up here, and receive the body of Christ and the blood of Jesus shed for you, we'll all take it together. If, beloved, if you'll hold this out on your hand, <clears throat> I like to hold it with an open hand, reminding me that every good thing has been given to me from the Father above. On the night when Jesus was betrayed to lay his life down for the sins of humanity, he took bread with his closest friends and he broke it. You can just break that cracker. That is a physical picture of God himself broken for the sins of humanity to make us whole again. And he gave this to his disciples and he says, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take it and receive it into yourself. Friends, let us eat. Thank you, Jesus. And then he took a cup. And he said to his disciples, this right here, this is the cup of a new covenant. There's a new arrangement, there's a new agreement that I'm working out with humanity. It's not by faith in your good works in the law, it's your faith in what I've done for you that you cannot do in yourself. And friends, standing today in this priestly role, I want to announce to you that by the blood of Jesus, your sins, they are forgiven. And the power of your sins are broken. By the blood of Jesus, let us receive. Thank you, Lord. Amen. How many of you received that today? Amen. Come on, clap your hands real good to the Lord, church. All right. Let us sing a song of thanksgiving. I'll remind you about table groups. I'll bless you with a blessing and we will be released into our day. mentioned about growing in our faith. Next week, we're going to be making announcements about table groups, which are small group communities that study the word together, pray together, minister to one another. We actually take the message that is spoken every Sunday morning, and we break that down, going deeper on how we can live that out in our own lives. And friends, one of our vision statements this year was delving into greater connection. And so just be paying attention to that, both via email this week and also during our announcements next week. Stephen, Silvana, are you guys here in the house today? They're not here. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, We'll pray over in the next service. All right. Beloved, will you open up your hands? I'm going to send you guys out today with a blessing as we're launched into the world as ambassadors of faith. In the name of Jesus, whom God sent, I declare over you today, New Life Midtown that in the same way that Jesus was sent from the Father, you are sent into the earth. May you go today participating with the divine mission of God, empowered by the Holy Spirit and full of the love of the Father and walking in the grace of Jesus. In the name of the Father and the Son and in the Holy Spirit. May the Lord bless you today, guys. Thanks so much. We'll see you soon. Altar ministers are here if you guys want prayer for anything in your life today.